Hi, I'm Lisa Levin. And I'm Julie Sapper. We're the co-founders of Run Farther and Faster and co-hosts of the podcast under the same name. While we started this podcast as a Boston Marathon-focused podcast based on the experiences from our combined 31 finishes, we cover all things running-related. We've coached runners of all levels and goal distances all over the world for over 13 years. Thanks so much for joining us. We are so excited you're here. Hey, Julie. Hey, Lisa. How's it going? It's going really well. How about you? I'm doing all right. I'm, I'm definitely sad today. We were recording our episode for today, yesterday, when we learned the sad news that Rick Hoyt passed away at age 61. And it's really unbelievable. We just spoke to him three weeks ago and it's just so sad. I, I, I can't believe it. I was really shocked. And we talked to the Hoyts, um, Rick and his brother, Russ, uh, just three episodes ago, and they were excited about their upcoming race over Memorial Day weekend for uh, the Hoyt Foundation. And we're not sure what's happening with that race. Of course, that's a much smaller issue, but the bigger issue, of course, is that Russ lost his brother and, and we lost another icon. And I just can't help but think of the legacy that Rick and of course his dad, Dick, have left in the world, particularly in the running and triathlon communities and in communities where suddenly people realize that yes, you can. And they really are representatives of what it means to be included, representatives of inclusion and recognizing that when you see it, you can do it. And they really changed the world by taking the risks they did to do what they did. And I'm just sad that Rick is gone and really just in disbelief. Yeah. And feeling very fortunate that we had an opportunity to talk to him um, when we did. And, uh, and it is, you know, you mentioned the race, the race is this Saturday, which um, I can imagine now that actually it's going to take on a whole kind of new level of meaning and emotion at this race. And I think, you know, they're going to have a big turnout anyway, but um, you know, it's, it's really going to, I think, uh, take on more meaning and um, it is, it's kind of a, a piece of Boston for us that um, is bigger than than really than Boston. It's it really symbolizes what Boston has always meant to us and and something that we associate with Boston. You know, for, for as long as we've done Boston, you know, that's kind of we we think about um, Rick and Dick Hoyt and how that just was part of Boston for us. So, um, you know, really hearts out to their family. Um, and uh, but but I think we can all take, uh, you know, assurance in the fact that he's left a legacy, like you said, kind of changed the landscape of, of inclusion, not only in races, but, you know, in, in all areas of life, in education, um, in work, in, in, um, you know, in, in all areas. So I think, uh, I think that the legacy is what's meaningful and it's, but it is, it's sad and it's, uh, and like I said, I, I feel very fortunate we had an opportunity to talk to him when we did. Yeah, for sure. We, really it's, it's crazy. And, uh, yeah, we have that memory and, uh, that was a really special episode just three weeks ago and hearing Rick's thoughts. I think we asked him the last question we asked was what does yes, you can mean to you. And he said, I wish that I would have trademarked it. <laughs> that was yes. the answer. I thought that was so cute. Yeah, that um, was great. Yeah. And, uh, well, I think that's always going to be associated with them, whether it's trademarked or not, but that's what I think sure. again, the legacy that, that, um, he's leaving and, uh, um, yeah, so very, uh, 
sad, sad news. Yeah, for sure. So uh, our condolences to the entire Hoyt family and and all of those who were deeply inspired by the Hoyts. And uh, I have no doubt at next year's Boston, there will be something done to memorialize the Hoyts even further, which is well-deserved. Yeah. So on a lighter note, Lisa, um, we just wanted to um, talk quickly about um, our coaching right now. So we've had a number of folks reach out to us, which is so, we so appreciate that. We love hearing from listeners and from folks who know us just through the running community or through social media, which is always We so appreciate that part because we admittedly aren't the best on social media, but um, we try our best, but we we work really hard at our coaching and we aren't focused as much on on creating social media reels and such. And for those looking at our social media that feel we need a lot of help, we we just, we we can't explain it other than to say we work really hard and that that's kind of the thing that we don't do as well as other things, but we try, but in any event, we're old, (laughs) we're old. Not that that's an excuse, but I feel like it's like, you know, I'm too old for that. I, I can't, it's, it's be, it's, I'm a generation beyond that. Maybe we just, I think for me, it's just once I finish my day and I have reached, touched all of our runners, reached out to everyone, working on schedules, talking with you, working through, you know, problem solving, doing all the things I'm not inspired to create a, a real yeah. And it's not, it's not, it's not, I don't think it's not, it's not authentically us is what I kind of feel like it's, you know, it's fun. And I love looking through social media and I love watching the reels that people make. I think that's awesome, but you know, it's not, it's not, it's not our authentic selves. Yeah. So I, yeah. I think us. that's well said. Yeah. yeah. So, and no shade on those who are super talented. We, right, no. we salute you. Yeah. I, I'm in, <laughs> like I said, I always scroll through them. And, wow. That's really awesome. How they do that. That's really cool. Yeah. So. Yeah, for sure. My um, post-injury reels are about all I have. And that that's material that is hopefully temporary, not forever. But in any event, the point is, is that we so appreciate folks reaching out and we are scheduling calls with everyone. And we just wanted um, everyone to know, as we talked about last week, we are full for the month of June and we are pretty much full for July. But we want to talk to everyone because we will figure out a way to fit folks in into coaching. It just may not be exactly when you want it. And so we're not saying no, we're saying we just want to make sure that we are coaching people and to have the experience that they deserve, that they learned, that it's meaningful and that it's specific to each runner. And in order for us to do that, we have to cap our roster each month. Um, so please reach out. Uh, don't hesitate to, but just know we may not be able to onboard you right away. And that is only because we want everyone's experience to be exactly what we promised. And that is tailored coaching for your level and your goals. Absolutely. Well said. And, um, and, and oftentimes we talk to people when we can't take on new clients immediately and we give them a kind of a general plan of what to do for the next month or two before we can, you know, before we can take them on as, as, as runners. Um, so um, you know, so reach out to us. We can chat through like, what are your goals? What does that timeline look like? What can you do in the meantime on your own? Um, and we love connecting with people. So we, um, but we just know our limits and we know we've in the past learned that maybe the hard way where we just have a lot of runners where we start to feel like, you know, we're, we're compromising the ability to, 
to, to give them the individual individualized attention that we want. So we kind of scaled back and we know, we know where our limits are and how many runners we can give that attention to. And we just, you know, we've been pretty good, I think recently about not going over that and making sure that um, we can give everyone the attention that they deserve because, you know, the, their success means a lot to us. And we want to make sure that we're really um, connecting with everyone. And we only have so much bandwidth to connect with, you know, you can't. And, and I think that's a good question to ask coaches. If, you know, you're looking at coaches and interviewing coaches, like ask them, how many people do you coach? Cause I don't think somebody could like, could effectively coach. Maybe if there's, maybe I'm just not as efficient, but I, I think it's really hard to say like you have 60 or 70 or 50 or 60 or 70 runners that you coach and that you really connect with, um, like genuinely connect with. Um, it's just a lot of people and, you know, everyone has, has needs and you want to give everyone that attention and there's only so much time in the day. So, um, so reach out so that we can connect and get to know you and talk about like a good plan based on your goals. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it, it's, it's really cool for us to see that we have kind of a wait list and that we're, um, you know, kind of telling people that we can't start until later. Cause, uh, you know, when we started this 14 years ago, you know, we felt lucky to have like, a, you know, a handful of people to coach or people who would show up at our, at our, you know, programs that we do, we feel lucky to have like 10 people show up. So it's really uh, neat to see how we've grown and how this has become our life. And, and, you know, we love what we do. Well said. And what's also really cool is many of the people who were our original runners are still with us. Yes. We're so grateful for that. I want to give a shout out to Sue Redding, who I just talked to this week on the phone because Sue is going to start training for Marine Corps and had reached out to us a while ago to say, I've got Marine Corps on my schedule. Can I kind of get, you know, uh, in the queue? And and we knew. So now is the kind of time to talk to her and and get her. She's going to start, uh, you know, coaching again uh, coming up in June. And, um, you know, I just when I was on the phone with her, I just said that is just so, you know, it's so neat that she's really been there almost since the beginning. And she was part of uh, the reason we coached at our local community college. She works at our local community college. So she got us in there to, to do a program there. And um, we still, you know, we still work with them. And so I said, you know, you're one of the OG, you know, you've been around, she's been around for at least 10 of those 14 years, if not more. So I think that's really, really special. And I will give a shout out to Stacey Garner, who's also one of our OGs. She's been with us since our very first program. Um, when we did the, um, half marathon program, Stacy was in that with us. Remember when we formed run farther and faster and yeah. we had our first parks Absolutely. half marathon yeah. program and yeah, we're still working with Stacy and she's amazing. And she's been through many peaks and valleys in her running as all of us have, and she's stuck with it. And we're so grateful to be part of her journey as well. So it's, it's, it's really nice to have so many OGs. And I also want to bring up another point in that, as you mentioned earlier, and I think it's a great point when interviewing coaches ask, you know, how many people they're coaching at the same time. Um, also recognizing that coaching companies vary, and I'm not saying one is better than the other, but some coaching companies, and many have a structure where the, it'll be under one coach's umbrella, and then there'll be several coaches underneath that are working for that coach. And that's great. You know, it's a great way to expand. We, we, um, aren't going in that direction. We love each other. We love what we have. We, we just really enjoy run farther and faster the way it is. Um, and maybe, and sometimes over the years, you know, we've, we've talked about it because a lot of people have said, well, you should hire people, you should expand. And that's not the direction we're going in, at least for now, this is where we are. We're very happy with what we're doing. 
Um, but we have received inquiries from runners, from coaching companies, where they may speak with the head coach and then the head coach will just uh, randomly assign them a coach under said head coach to work with them. And then that coach ends up not being the right fit. So another thing to ask if um, you're working or exploring coaches is how do you assign a coach to a runner if it's not you? What criteria do you use? And do I have an opportunity to switch coaches if that isn't the right match? Um, because we have heard that story quite a bit pretty recently from a variety of runners. And it is something to definitely ask because just because one coach is right for one person may not be be the same for another, obviously, because every runner is different and every coach is different. Yeah. Very well said. I usually tell people when I'm talking to them on the phone, you know, we're kind of doing an intake or a, you know, a, a consultation, you're getting to know each other that it's just you, it's just the two of us. That's it. So that's why we have to be, you know, we have to limit how many people we take on because it really is just the two of us. And, and we work together and we know about each other's client. It's not like, you know, somebody is your client or my client, they're our clients. And one of us is kind of the point person in the way final surge is set up. They'll see our name, one name or the other on their calendar, just because that's how it breaks down in final surge. Um, but that we're both, you know, we're, we're both there as a resource. So, but it is just the two of us. And it's interesting over the years that we've talked about and people have approached us about expanding and bringing on new coaches. And um, it's not that we don't trust anybody else, but it's just that we've got a really good, um, you know, good system going and it's just, it's worked for us, but it just limits then inherently then limits it, the, the runners that we can take, but we've decided that's okay. So, yeah. I think it's, it's kind of life when you think about what is it that you want out of life? What is it that you want out of your job? What is it? What are your goals? And our goal, I mean, we, we do this, it's a labor of love. I mean, we love what we do. We care about our runners. We care about each other. We're not here to build a monopoly or an, you know, an empire rather in, in the running world. We're here to coach and, and, and really help people reach their goals and, and have fun while doing it. And, that's and be a part of their lives. Be a part. Yeah. Like, I love that we've been part of so many of our runners' lives. So many different phases of their lives. We've seen, you know, people have have children. We've seen people get married. We've seen people retire. We've seen, you know, so many different um, phases of their lives. That that's, you know, that to us. And and if we had too many people and we were too spread too thin, we wouldn't get to really appreciate that and enjoy that as much. So, like you said, we've kind of just decided this is this is our goal is is that, and, um, yeah, it means that we're not going to um, be the next, uh, you know, the next, uh, uh, huge running coaching company probably out there, but, uh, but what we do is really special to us. And, um, I think, I think we're successful. Absolutely. And success is not always defined by quantitative. It's also qualitative and I'm happy where we are and I'm happy with, with what's happening with run farther and faster. And, and I think part of it is the synergy that you and I have. Our communication style is so important. We love and appreciate each other. And that makes, of course, the work enjoyable. Um, I enjoy our clients. I enjoy, of course, the subject matter. And I also enjoy being a businesswoman with you. I think it's so fun to be creative and think of new ideas and be able to bounce things off of each other. And we've learned so much about uh owning a small business. And we've definitely made mistakes, but we've learned from them. And I think we don't take ourselves too seriously. And I think 
that's really important too. I'm going off on a tangent. This could be a whole other podcast. That's okay. I was going to say, this is fun to talk about because I'm also just thinking about how much confidence we've built over the years. I think back to the beginning and we started and we just weren't sure <laughs> what ourselves or, you know, what, you know, what we were doing or were we going in the right direction? Or were we doing it right? And we've built so much confidence over the years. So maturity and confidence. And I think yeah. that is really, really cool to see. But speaking of OGs and, um, you know, what makes us successful and, um, why we've been able to do what we do. Part of that is our community here and the resources that we have. And we have an amazing network of professionals and experts that we work with and that we've worked with for many, many, for probably as many years as we've been together, um, you know, run farther and faster has existed. And one of those OG experts um, is Kelly Scherf at RJ Sports, which is a local um, running and it's racket and jog is RNJ. So running and tennis, uh, racket sports, but um, really a running store, local, locally, small business, locally owned running store here uh, has two, lo- two store locations in uh, Rockville and Bethesda. And they have been, um, you know, our go-to resource for shoes and anything kind of running, running uh, gear apparel related, uh, like I said, for as long as we've been in business. And um, having uh, Kelly and Ray, who's also at RNJ, and their staff as resources is is instrumental to us um, in helping our runners, not only our local runners, but Kelly has been known, and I'm not going to put her on the spot because, you know, she has limited time too, but she's been known to hop on the phone with some of our runners who are not in the area and try to see if she can help them figure out their shoe problems. Now, obviously it's better if somebody can see you and see you run and fit you in the shoe, but she's great and really has been such an amazing resource um, for us. So uh, we did a podcast with her in, I think, February of 2020, which was right before things shut down for COVID, right before we knew things were going to shut down. And just as super shoes were coming onto the scene, um, it was really the beginning sort of of the super shoe, uh, you know, uh, whatever we're going to call it. But um, uh, and we sat down with her in in the store in our in in Roman. Remember Roman yeah, too? Mm-hmm, Roman, yeah. yep, because Roman was a big fan of Super Shoes and you know had a lot to, to say about Super Shoes. And we sat down with them at RJ and we kind of talked about what are these new shoes coming out. And I think at the time, you know, we kind of saw it as something that was really focused on uh, very fast elite runners. And we even talked about that with Roman. It was like if you're not running a certain pace, they're just not going to be as, as helpful for you. And I think that's how they were seen sort of at first is that, okay, this is a shoe that the elites are wearing. They're companies that sponsor them are giving them these shoes. And we don't company. have to think about it. It was basically just company, like- right. One company, right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. One company has got this shoe and is giving it to their athletes. And we, I know I personally was like, that's not even like on my radar screen. And over the last three years, they have become ubiquitous and they are, you know, everybody who's looking for performance gains, um, is, is looking at, at super shoes, whether you're super fast or whether you're on, you know, the slower end of the spectrum, people are wondering about super shoes. So we, you know, have had a lot of people ask us, you know, to do, to do an episode on super shoes. And we've talked to each other a lot about super shoes. So we asked Kelly to come back on and, and talk about super shoes. Yeah. Kelly was great. She provided a lot of information. Uh, there's a lot of opinions about super shoes and, there's a lot of strong opinions about super shoes. And what I liked about our conversation was that it, it was just talking about what's out there, what's available pros and cons. We're not here to tell people not to wear them or to wear them. It's more, here is the information and here is what you need to know to make an informed decision. And then Kelly also talks a lot about 
of what we should be looking for when we are buying shoes and um, just some general tips in terms of sizing. And these are things that many of you may not know, because even though Lisa, you and I have been getting fitted for shoes for over two decades. I always learn something new whenever I go in there and I get fitted by Kelly and Ray. I always learn something new because shoes are always changing. And as a result, fit, fitting the fitting of shoes can change too. So um, yeah, and we should mention too that we work with um, Kelly and Ray at the Run Performance Lab, which we do is a um, it's a service for Montgomery County Roadrunner Club members that it's sort of like a clinic that you come into where you meet with running coaches that we are on that staff of running coaches. You meet with physical therapists, including Rachel Miller and her staff from ProAction Physical Therapy. You meet with podiatrists. You meet with um, uh, massage therapists, and you can meet with a shoe expert, and that's Kelly and Ray from RNJ that come over. And I love kind of when I don't have somebody that I'm working with popping over and listening in on what they're talking about with the runner that they're meeting with. And I've just seen um, both of them, but like pull out the insole of a shoe and show them like where it's compressed. And that means that, you know, your, your pronate or your shoe isn't big enough. You know, they're like inspecting this shoe, like, you know, like it's a, you know, we've called them the CSI team for shoes, but like they're inspecting the shoe, like it's a piece of evidence and showing the runner where the evidence is of biomechanical issues that, you know, that they might need to take into account when, when getting a shoe. So I love listening in and learning. I'm um, just seeing them, uh, you know, really analyze what's going on with somebody and how the shoe is, is either helping or hurting them in terms of their running. For sure. And I also appreciate that they don't try to upsell. We talked a little bit about that too, in this episode, how you got to be leery of some running stores where you go in and not only are they convincing you to buy a shoe, but they're also convincing you to buy accessories with said shoe. And that's, that's not like an insole, an insole. That's yeah. the biggest one is like, and, and like Kelly says in this, like they want to fit the shoe to you, not find a shoe for you. And then, you know, then retrofit it to you by putting in other things that you have to buy. Exactly. So, um, and there's no, not that, you know, there isn't a place for insoles for certain people, like absolutely certain people need them. Certain people need orthotics, but the question is, do you need, you specifically need it and why? And that's, that's what you really need to ask when you go into a, a, a shoe store or running store um, and you're being fit for shoes is, you know, why are you recommending this? Why, you know, what, what, what is it about my biomechanics? What is it about my injury history, my training? What is it? Why, why are you recommending this type of shoe or this insole to go inside the shoe? And we're also going to put in the show notes information um, to reach Kelly. She's generously worked with a lot of our runners who are out of town because not everybody is as fortunate as we are to have a specialty running store in their area that has this depth of knowledge. So um, in the event that you're listening and you're saying, well, I don't have anything like that near me. If you ever have questions, uh, Kelly has generously made herself available to our listeners. If you want to call over there or send an email to Kelly, and we'll put that in the show notes. Um, they also have a web presence. So if you find a pair of shoes that you like, they're slightly discounted. So if you want to, I feel like I'm a, a, a sales ad for r and I don't mean to be, but it's true. They're, they're slightly discounted a lot of times. So you might find the shoe you like at their store for a little bit cheaper and you're supporting a local running store online in the meantime. So yeah, I was just going to say, we love to support them too. And, and just their longevity in our community, I think speaks to their genuine involvement in the community. Like, you know, we've seen other um, places come in and out that are kind of corporate and come in and they just want to 
make their money and, you know, and that's it. They don't want to be involved in the community. And RNJ is, I mean, Kelly herself is on many committees within the, the local running, our local running club. She's on race committees. She helps out with the races. They all do. And they're all very, you know, very, um, very intimately involved with our local running community. And I think that speaks volume. So I always like to, you know, we can recommend people order online from them. I say, go for it. And, uh, support support a local small business. And I will say too, we've had runners who don't live in the area, but they happen to come into the DC area for whatever reason, and they make an appointment to go see Kelly. Um, so, you know, we've had, I, we are, I actually working with a runner who is planning during the summer to come down to our area specifically to meet with Kelly. So uh, it's, it's, it's not unheard of. So if you're coming to the DC area, you have time to swing a visit to RNJ, reach out to Kelly and see if you can set up, set up an appointment. It's definitely worth your time. For sure. So before we um, take over, take the episode over to Kelly, we just wanted to ask everyone, uh, we still have copies of the book by Christine Yu to give away. So last week on our, two weeks ago on our episode, we interviewed Christine and talked about the impact impact of scientific studies on female athletes. And it was a real fascinating conversation. And she generously gave us a copy, a couple copies of the book. And we wanted to give one away to a lucky listener. So if you're listening and you haven't yet left us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, leave us a review and then send us an email letting us know that you left a review and you will be eligible to win a free copy of the book. If you've already left us a review and you can't leave another, we understand, then just spread the word about our podcast, tag us, let us know that you're spreading the word and we will enter for you to win a copy of the book. So obviously we're trying to spread the word to increase our listenership and our growth. And we would really appreciate your help in doing so. And your reward is a copy of this book, which was fantastic. So without further delay, here is Kelly Sharp from RNJ. Lisa, I hope you have a great week. You too, Julie. Bye. Bye. It's Kelly Sharp from RNJ Sports. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. We bring your name up so much. It's so fun to have you back. So for those who may not know who you are, uh, could you share a little bit about yourself? Um. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. I, I uh, truly appreciate this. Um, my name is Kelly Scherf and I work at RNJ Sports and um, we are a small local running store in um, the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. So we have two stores, one in Rockville and one in Bethesda, Maryland. And um, I have been uh, working here for, I think it's at, like roughly like 23 years is how long I've been working here. And I buy, um, I do a lot of the buying for our business, but I also do a lot of um, fitting people for running shoes and a lot of customer service. And then I also um, do a lot of, you know, coaching on the side, volunteer coaching on the side and um, supporting like our local running community. And you run yourself too. Don't shortchange yourself. You, you, you run as well. You have a very extensive running, um, you know, running background, which I think really helps and, um, and, you know, it helps you as a, a coach, as a coach, as a runner to understand the runners that come into your store. And I can't believe you've been there for over 20 years. You must have started when you were like, you know, 13 working in the store or something as well as what we're, we're figuring. Um, so the funny thing is that Kelly, the last time we had you on the podcast, was right before COVID. It was like 
February of 2020. And we had this discussion on super shoes because super shoes were just coming on the scene. Like we didn't even really know a lot about them. They were literally just starting to come on the scene. And we sat with you in person in, yeah. in the store and had a conversation about super shoes. And a lot has changed since then um, in our worlds and, and uh, you know, just from thinking back to like sitting with you before COVID and having these conversations. Um, but, um, and just with super shoes, like the evolution of super shoes over the last you know, three years has been um, really astronomical. So we wanted to have you back on the podcast to kind of update us and talk with us, especially as, you know, not only as runners ourselves, but as coaches, how we can help guide our runners. Because our runners, you know, everyone's now saying, well, do I need to wear super shoes? Am I going to be at a disadvantage if I don't wear super shoes? And a lot of people are jumping on the bandwagon and buying, you know, just going out there and buying what they hear is the cool, the fastest super shoe. And as coaches, we really need, you know, we have some, you know, mixed feelings. We have always been with, along with you, proponents of making sure that the shoe that you wear is right for your biomechanics, is right for your training, is right for your paces, is right for so many different, you know, things that you and your staff at RNJ always take into account. And so we're such big proponents of that, that, you know, when we see people saying, I'm just going to go out and buy this super shoe, we're like, eh. <laughs> so, so we wanted to have you on today to talk about this. So let's start out with kind of the basics of what is a super shoe? Um, so a super shoe is a, like a, a thicker, so if you, it's a racing shoe. So if, if you're going back and you're, um, considering what racing shoes used to be, like maybe, um, like 10 to 15 years ago, a racing shoe was like a very thin, lightweight shoe. So now they've kind of switched gears and they're doing an ultra thick um, carbon plated most of the time um, shoe. And, and, and the offsets can vary from about uh, four millimeters to eight millimeters um, being higher in the heel than the forefoot. And so that's kind of the gist of a super shoe now is you're looking at like, like anywhere from 38 millimeters in the heel to like, and above into like the 45, I think is, is what we're seeing. So that is a super shoe. And what are the benefits of that? Um, those, like those, the, the, what are the benefits of the carbon plate? First of all, what, you know, what, what is that providing runners? So the carbon plate acts as like a like response mechanism in the forefoot of the shoe. And so when you land in the forefoot, it, you know, has a lot of ener energy return and it pushes you, it's propelling you forward in the shoe. So that is kind of the idea of getting a carbon plated shoe is that you're going to get a lot of feedback from, from that midsole material and it's going to, it's going to push you forward. You know, having the carbon plate and, and you, you said you know, the, that's kind of the characteristic of, of super shoes, but are there different levels of super shoes? Cause I know like I use the Saucony Endorphin Speed, which is a different type of plate, right? So maybe yeah, are there kind of variations? Yeah, the, the, the Endorphin, which is, cause there's actually, I think currently Saucony is the only brand to have that plastic plate in there and it's, it's more pliable. It's, it's a softer midsole. And so it doesn't 
it's not as stiff as like the endorphin pro series but a lot of the other super shoes that are takedowns from their you know pinnacle racing shoes they do not have carbon plates in them they change like from what i'm seeing is they change the the offsets maybe a little bit they might go from like four millimeters to eight millimeters but they're they don't have the, the carbon or plastic plates in them um, except I think Saucony and uh, New Balance are the only ones that have that that plastic plate in them. Um, but as I think an option. Yeah, as an option. I think the reason you're seeing a lot of super shoes, like a lot more super shoes, is because you know all these brands have these like sponsored athletes, and to make the the you know landscape even all of these athletes want these shoes. And, and so these brands have to come up with these, these super shoes. So, um, I just read something in fast women this morning where Hoka sponsored athletes were expressing, I think it was coach Ben Rosario and Steph Bruce had a discussion on a podcast where they were discussing that they feel like they're at a disadvantage um, because Hoka doesn't necessarily have a traditional super shoe, but Hoka has something. So maybe, um, can we talk a little bit about what's out there? Because the last time we spoke, we, we stuck to Nike because when we talked in 2019, that was the only company that had anything that had a carbon plate. So can you kind of break down for us, some of the brands, what they offer? And in your opinion, uh, out of the offerings, what, what do you think is um, the best out there if someone is looking for a super shoe? And then we'll dive into who's appropriate um, to wear a super shoe. Well, Hoka has, you know, the, um, gosh, I'm blanking on the name right now. I don't, uh, the Carbon, Carbon X. X. Yeah. Yeah. The Carbon X. Um, and then they also have the Bondi X. So they have the Carbon X, they have the Bondi X, and then they have like, like a series of shoes that they kind of go through that are like faster. So like, you know, we like throw the mock in that category. Um, and then Nike has their Vaporfly, their Alpha Fly. Um, uh, Softly has the Endorphin, the Endorphin series. So they have the Endorphin Pro, they have the Endorphin Speed, they have the Endorphin Shift. Um, New Balance has the Fuel Cell. Um, trying to think of what else. Oh, and then Brooks has the Hyperion Elite and the Hyperion Max. Um, and so, I mean, there's just like, a, like there's so many of them. So I guess like, I guess what you're probably seeing is people, you know, within like whatever brand they're wearing, they're probably gonna go to that super shoe. So like, if you wear Brooks Adrenaline, I'm maybe you're going to try the Hyperion Max or the Hyperion Elite. If you wear Nike, you're maybe you're going to try the, the Nike series. Or if you're, you were a ride or a guide by Saucony, then you might go to like the Endorphin series. Um, so that's kind of, that's kind of what I think motivates people to potentially buy them in addition to the fact that they want to put down faster times in, in races. And then going back to what, what you were saying about the, the coach, um, only having the carbon X as, a, as an option, they have the Bondi X and they have other shoes, but they're not going to wear the Bondi X because the Bondi X is a much like chunkier shoe. It's, it's a lot heavier. And so the athletes probably are not interested in that. 
So, Got so it. Kelly, when somebody comes into you, you know, like you said, a lot of people, they may, their first inclination may be like, okay, I wear Nikes. Now I'm going to look at Alpha Fly or whatever, you know, that super shoe is, but is that the right thing to do? Or when somebody comes into your store and says like, I want a super shoe, what are you guys looking at? And what, how are you determining what the right you know, brand, what the right type of shoe is for a runner? Well, so super, like, this is a very, like, controversial for us, like, topic, because we're not a store to really put people into super shoes, like, because of a lot of reasons. But um, I kind of, I kind of, like, thought about this a lot in over the last few days of, like, like, what I kind of see, like, how I kind of view the, like my criteria for putting people into super shoes. So my criteria is like, one, I want to have the discussion about like how fast you are. So like how, and I know like, like that is a sensitive topic for like a lot of people because it really shouldn't be based on how fast you are, but truly we all know that the faster you can be, the more efficient you are. So that is that is a conversation. Like that is a part of the conversation. Um, the other thing, so if you're going down to that, like if you're kind of breaking that down, it's what is your gait like? Where are you striking? Are you striking heel to toe? Are you coming in the midfoot? Are you coming down on the forefoot? And and the reason we kind of look at that is because these super shoes, except for the endorphin series, are not offered well and fuel cell are not offered in wides right so you get one platform shape you're not getting multiple platform shapes and these platform shapes are relatively narrow and so if you're coming down heel to toe and you're on that big thick midsole how stable are you on that on that midsole and then you're kind of also misusing the technology because you're coming down in the heel as opposed to mostly forefoot. So you're not getting that energy return from the shoe that you should be. So it's like, it's, there's like how fast you are, like where you land. And then like, I, I was also thinking about this, like how strong you are physically as a runner, runner, like what is your balance like? Because you know, Rachel Miller talks about this a lot, like, like running is a single leg exercise. So when you land on that shoe, can you balance yourself on that platform? So those are kind of the things that like, I think about when I'm talking to somebody about super shoes. And not only can you balance, but how long are you running? Like in a marathon, you're going to fatigue toward the end. Is that what shoe going to support you? Like what distance are you? Are you racing a 5k? Are you racing a marathon? Because I think those shoes are very, are are very different, but let's back up. I want to back up. You said your tendency is not to want to, you know, put people in shoes for many reasons. So let's talk about some of those reasons. What are your, you know, what are your um, hesitations on super shoes? Well, I mean, a lot of it for us has to do with like how, how, why the platforms are. And like, if you're looking at like endorphins and um, like even carbon excess to a degree or like the Hyperion series, like the platforms are relatively narrow. And so it's just for the majority of people, they're just not stable in the shoe. So like, 
you know, they may not overpronate, but it gives the impression that they overpronate because their foot is wider than the platform. So therefore they might come down on the medial side because one, the shoe is so high and the shoe is so, so soft and so narrow that it gives the impression that the person overpronates in the shoe when they don't necessarily overpronate in the shoe. So a lot of it comes down to like, uh, in addition to that fit for us. So like, we're looking at like how the shoe fits. And I, I think what I would also say is like a lot of people, when they go to a racing shoe, they don't necessarily want to take their running shoe size. So let's say like Joe walks in and he takes a 12 wide and a pair of ghosts, but he wants the Hyperion Max and 11 and a half. Well, you've just decreased the platform shape. And so therefore the shoe becomes less stable because you're not, when you're running that 10K half marathon, whatever you're running, you don't want any slippage on the shoe. Completely makes sense to me, but you're also, you're also changing how the shoe works for you. So. A lot of people like super shoes though, because they feel that when they run in them, they feel so good. So for those who are listening that are saying, yeah, I mean, maybe it's not the best fit as opposed to my wide shoe because I have a wide toe box. But when I run in my super shoes, I feel so fast and, and I have such a great recovery after my races because um, the force allows for more recovery after a race, as opposed to wearing a regular shoe. What do you say to those folks? In other words, what are the ramifications for wearing a shoe that may not fit properly, even if it feels really good? Well, so like, I mean, I've seen like a, like a lot, I don't want to say like a lot, I've seen injuries from it and people don't even realize that the injuries are coming from the shoe because they've just like ran a marathon in them. Um, but like, for example, like it, somebody that I know, um, you know, has been running training in like just a normal trainer and then decided to get a super shoe for racing and then ended up with a stress fracture. And they might not necessarily think that that's because of the super shoe, but that's because the shoe doesn't provide them with any support. So there's overpronation and then the overpronation results in a stress fracture. So that is part of it. Um, plantar fasciitis, like, because the plantar fascia is working so hard to, you know, like help you go forward. And then also is working hard to keep you on, on the shoe that you could end up with, you know, a plantar plate tear or some plantar fasciitis or tendonitis because you're just not stable in the shoe. And so those are the types of, we see tendonitis. I saw a stress fracture, um, plantar fasciitis, like those types of injuries because of the shoes. And I look, the shoes are like, they're light and they're fantastic and they're ultra cushioned. And so they're, they're fun to run in, but it has to work for you also. Right. If you can't get to the start line healthy or finish a race and you're injured, you're not going to be running fast anytime, anywhere soon. But you alluded to the fact, you know, people train in trainers and then race in racing shoes. Is there, you know, for people where it is the right shoe, is there a, a, an approach that you recommend of like, you know, training a certain number of miles, a certain type of workouts in the carbon plated, you know, in the super shoe um, and saving them for race day? You know, how, what, what do you think is the best approach for somebody who you know, who hopefully is properly fit in a super shoe and it, and it works for them. What's the, what's the right approach in terms of training and racing? So I always, 
my recommendation to people who want to run in a super shoe, because I do have, you know, plenty of runners who come in and they're really fast and they want to run in super shoes. And who am I? Because everyone around them is running in them and they're just trying to stay competitive. So for me, it's like you, the majority of like your long runs and your, your, um, specifically your long runs and your everyday runs, not your tempo runs, not your track workouts. You should be doing those in standard training shoes. And the, and the, one of the big reasons why is because those shoes are heavier. And so when you're running and you're training in something that one has a little bit more protection and two is a little bit heavier then your body like knows that weight of that shoe. And so when you go to run and a, a marathon, a half marathon in, in that super shoe, that super shoe then becomes effective because your body is used to this heavier shoe. Um, so that is, that is something that I highly recommend is, you know, if you can stick with your, your training shoes. The other thing I would say is this is what I also see. I see a lot of people just running in, in the, the super shoes all the time. That is that's difficult for us because we'll see people get injured from the super shoes and then they come back in and we want to put them into a, a trainer, but they can't, they can't handle the weight of the trainer anymore. And so my, like, what I always say at that point is I'm like, I always point them to like a physical therapist because you need strength. Like that is like something that's super difficult for us because if I take you outside and I watch you run in a pair of Brooks ghosts and you have been running in the Hyperion max or the Hyperion elite, but you, your body can't like pick up the shoe and have a smooth turnover, then like, where is the strength? Um, so that, that's something that we also see a lot of is that, you know, trying to take people out of them is, is because of injury is, is tough. You bring up a really good point. It's something also, when you mention how you see injuries as a result of super shoes, I wonder how hard it is though, for folks to always correlate an injury to super shoes, because someone may manifest symptoms of an injury weeks after running a race in a super shoe, and it may not necessarily connect. They may not connect the dots, but is there anything in or patterns that you're seeing in terms of a runner using super shoes and then having an injury, um, feedback from people who come into your store? Is there any sort of pattern that people should look for, um, as maybe the beginnings of an injury where they could stop it before it actually happens? Um, well, I mean, it would be the same for like any basic running injury to a degree. It's like, okay, so I would probably take the person back and say, okay, so you're running in what shoe? And then what were you running in prior to your super shoe? Did you have any pain in that shoe previous to this super shoe? And then where is the pain? Like, is the pain like in the ball of your foot, in, in the ankle, in the shin, in the knee, in the hip, like where, where's the pain? coming up. So, and then what's your mileage like? So it's, it's a, it's a lot, there's a lot of questions, but I always like to backtrack somebody almost maybe even like a year to kind of figure out like, like where the change has happened. So that's super smart, Kelly. That just also kind of made me think you were talking about training and, you know, running and training and injuries popping up. How long 
what is the lifespan of carbon plated shoes? Cause you know, at first we were hearing, you know, they are only good for a hundred miles. So like save them for your races or, you know, has that improved and how does somebody know when it's time to replace their carbon plated shoes? Um, well, the midsole materials are like a lot softer. So like the, the bottoms of the shoes get shredded a little bit quicker, but I would still like, I would still, you know, safely, I would say, keep the mileage around 200 miles, maybe push it to 250, but that's like, that's safe because if you go run, you know, 26.2 miles in a pair of carbon plated shoes, um, you're compressing that midsole probably for, you know, two to three to four hours. And the lifespan of the shoe decreases more than you think because you spent hours running in the shoe. So if you don't get 200 miles, let's say you get 180 out of them, I'd say that's pretty successful because, you know, you've, you've run a marathon in the shoes. So interesting. Uh, good point. So really based on that feedback, um, wearing super shoes in terms of training, wearing them for a couple of tempo runs before a marathon or half marathon, couple track workouts. That's basically all you should be wearing them for. Um, we already knew this, but I guess I was kind of hoping there would be a little bit more advancement where people could use them a little bit more to prepare. So they weren't going out on race day, wearing them for the first time, or, you know, just after maybe five times, but hopefully folks who are deciding to use super shoes, especially for the first time are testing them out in conditions that mimic race day sufficiently and then taking a few weeks to see how their body responds to that workout before taking them out for race day. Cause that's key too. the day after a workout, you may feel great, but how do you feel two weeks after a workout? And those are things that probably one would need to monitor, especially if they're using super shoes for the first time to make sure it's not causing a stress fracture or, or symptoms of an injury, as you mentioned. So let's say, um, someone's listening to this and they're like, you know what? I have a wide foot. I'm not liking what Kelly has to say in terms of using a super shoe. I don't think this is for me, but I see everyone wearing them and I do want that advantage. Are there any shoes out there, Kelly, that you can think of that at least have some of the qualities of a super shoe without some of the disadvantages that you mentioned? Well, so the nice thing about um, some of the brands, um, Saucony and New Balance make a wide in their super shoes. So you can always try the um, Fuel Cell in a wide and then the Endorphin Pro in a wide. So the only the difference between the two shoes, though, is that um, the New Balance truly is a wide last. So you go from a standard last to a wide last. That's that's they do different last shapes now. Um, for the endorphin pro, it just be more fabric on top. So you're still going to keep that, you know, uh, tapered platform, but you'll get more volume in the upper. So that is something that people can, um, look forward to. But the other thing is, is a lot of this technology is, you know, um, it's kind of, well, Hoka is a brand that really has like kind of in my eyes, invented this category because that's the basis of all of their shoes. So if you were looking for a shoe with normal um, amounts of cushion, you could try like a Clifton or a Mock or, you know, um, even a Bondi. You get the benefits of the super shoes, 
but you know, it doesn't have a carbon plate and it's um, a little bit heavier. And then even like Saucony, for example, Saucony has taken some of that technology and they put it into their rides and their guides. And so they're normal everyday trainers. Um, platforms are a little bit narrow, but you know, like you can still, you know, get the benefits of that type of feel and that shape from those shoes also. But even like now Asics is starting to do it, like they're beefing up their midsoles, New Balance is starting to do it. So you can you can get a lot of these attributes with a little bit more cushion and a lot of the, the manufacturer shoes now. Yeah, it seems like at least from our perspective as runners that the shoe companies are starting to make these shoes for more people. Like at the very beginning, it seemed like it would they were specifically for people who are much faster and um, you know, a certain, you know, a certain type of runner, but now that they're kind of expanding it so that more people can wear them. I want to kind of flip it around and ask you, you know, when do you see people who they work for and, and who are those people? And, you know, wh why, why do they work? You know, who do they work for and where are they kind of successful and, you know, a, a good um, tool for, for racing and, and performance? Um, yeah, I mean, I think like if you're like kind of what we've discussed, if you're smart about it and you use a, a trainer for the majority of your runs for like 90% of your runs, and then you implement it into your race day, you know, there's plenty of people, runners that I help that are also successful in the shoes because they understand that they will get injured if they use it for the majority of their runs. They kind of teeter on the edge already because you know, a lot of runners have these like little nagging injuries, so they teeter on the edge, but if they stick to their normal trainers and, you know, they have like strength and maybe they have a physical therapist, they have all these kinds of like things incorporated into their running, then they can certainly wear a super shoe and be successful in a super shoe. Um, yeah, plenty of people that I help, but they truly understand that they need to have that trainer for their everyday runs. That's really important. It's a good good point. I think a lot of people want to jump right into the super shoes and just they feel good. You want to wear them all the time, and you know we don't want to buy more pairs of shoes. So um, you know, so they they stick with the super shoe. But I think that's a really important point. And I also what you brought up before about you know making sure that you you have that strength, um, which is is really important. If you're always in a super shoe, you you lose some of that. It sounds like. Yeah, like I was helping this woman last week, and um, it was either last week or the week before week before and she, and she didn't overpronate, but she had like ankle instability. So her, like, she just didn't, she wasn't stable. So like, I can't imagine even putting her into a Hoka because of the height of the platform and just having that, like being a little bit wobbly in the ankles. Again, it wasn't overpronation. She just, she just needed to work on her lower body strength. And, and, and that's important for running, but it's, it's certainly important to be in, I think to touch on like strength and single leg exercises to be in these shoes so that you feel completely stable. So Kelly, switching gears a bit and just talking about running shoes in general, um, we're going to put you on the spot. Are there any brands or shoes that runners should avoid? Uh, you are putting me on the spot. <laughs> um, what brands? I mean, I'm not a I'm not a huge fan of any brand where the platform is narrow. So um, there are some brands out there that make their platforms narrow. 
And I think a good way, like a lot of the time when I'm helping people in the store, what I do is I just, I will take a shoe by each brand and just flip it on its side so that people can see how, how wide the platforms are. Meaning like, especially like what you're looking for is from the medial side. So the medial side being underneath the arch to the lateral side being the outside of your foot. So you're looking to see how wide that platform is. And if you flip it over by like New Balance, Saucony, Brooks, Asics, all of the brands, you'll kind of see how broad the platforms are. And typically the narrow, the narrower they are in the heel area, the less stable they are going to be. Um, but we're so like finicky in our store that we don't carry like shoes like on um, because <laughs> of that. So I'm not saying they don't make good shoes. I just, they're not like, for us, they're not as good as we would like them to be because they are fairly narrow. I mean, they're even, they're more narrow than like maybe Saucony shoes are. Saucony teeters on the edge. And I'd say Nike is in that category too. Um, it's just, they, sh I don't know, I don't know why they do it. Maybe because they cater towards like their big, bread and butter is probably their endorphin series. And then I think Nike caters towards like the elite athletes. So like they're kind of, the, those platforms are mimicked off. They're like more elite athletes. So. I love that you just brought up, brought up on those shoes are ubiquitous. I, I think it's partly because they must have some sort of big contract with Nordstrom because if you walk through that store, it's just filled with on running shoes and lots of people just walking around seem to be wearing them and they look like they would be great running shoes. And I think people like the look of them a lot and they just, I think for some, they feel really good, but um, yeah, I've heard you're not the first person to say that they're, they're not great shoes period. So I won't reveal my other source, but yeah. They're just tough. They're just tough. I mean, for us, it's just it's just, they're just tough to put people into. I mean, they look great. They look fantastic. Mm -hmm. I think the bottom line is that the shoe has to fit the person and the, your, the, the individual, very individual, their, you know, their foot, their biomechanics, their strengths, their weaknesses. And that's why it's so important to come into a store like yours, Kelly. Um, so um, talk to us a little bit about just kind of the process of like, you know, people coming in, getting fit. How, how, what do you do with people? What, what, what do people go? Because we know firsthand you spend a lot of time with people. It's not like they come in, you say like, okay, here's the shoe for you and out the door, goodbye. It's a long process. So, you know, why, why is, what do you do? And why is that important? Um, so my, my process, our process um, is you come in for shoes and um, we'll, mine's a little bit different maybe than like the, the everyday staff here because I get more referrals. So I'm looking to figure out like why that person is here. So the question is, is like, what are you training for? Um, like, you know, how many miles are you running a week? Um, like, have you been injured? Uh, so those are really important questions for me. Cause then I get to know you as a runner. Um, and then what shoes are you running in? Why do you like them? Um, why do you not like them? Um, like, and then also I think 
you know, a big thing is like, you know, what kind of socks do you like? Cause I'm not always looking at like change people out of the socks that they like. I really, for, for that, it's, are they working for you? Are they too tight or, um, you know, how much space are they taking up inside your shoes? So that's, that's a part of it too. Um, uh, you know, and then we do the normal, the standard things where, you know, we're watching people walk and, um, you know, we're measuring their feet and then we're taking them outside to run. Um, and then, you know, from there it's, you know, like, are, do you have like aches and pains and, and, and where are they coming from? Are they, are, are they in your hips? Are they in your knees? Are they in your ankles? Like, those are a lot of the things that like myself specifically and, and, you know, Ray will work on is, um, like, is it the shoes or is it strength or, um, you know, what, what's going on there? And so that's kind of a, a bit about what I do, but typically if you come in and you, you, you sit with me, it'll probably be about an hour, maybe even more. Um, because like, I want to send you out the door feeling comfortable and, you know, excited. So. Yeah. I mean, hands down, you all are the best. You just provide such personalized attention, but most importantly and relevantly, you're so knowledgeable and you just, you, you are both the shoe whisperers as we like to call you because you just so know what you're doing. So or the shoe CSI team. Like to yes, the shoe CSI, for sure. I like always watch when like you are right, look at the bottom of the shoes and be like, well, look at this wear pattern and this is what you're doing. And look at the inside. Like I've seen Ray take apart a shoe and say like, look at the insole of this. This is where you're putting all your weight and that's why it's compressed here. And so like, it's like the CSI team of like figuring out what, what is going on. And, and I think that's a really important point though, because a lot of people, especially with super, super shoes are seeing them online or seeing somebody post like, Hey, Nike shoes are on sale. Nike site, 20% off, go order. You know, I love these shoes, go order them. And people are just going online and ordering the shoes because they're seeing them either on sale or there's a new release or something. And they're just ordering them and they're putting them on their feet. And it's like, that's where we as coaches are like, can you please take them into a specialty running store and have somebody make sure that these are right for you? Because we don't want to see our runners in two weeks, two months, three months have an injury. And we've had this, we had a runner um, many years ago when the super shoes first came out, who got all excited, went into actually a running store and saw the super shoes and got excited and bought a pair. And uh, she had told me, she said, yeah, I'm going to run my half marathon in this weekend. And I said, like, did anybody fit you? And she said, oh, the, you know, everyone likes these shoes and I'm going to run the half marathon. And, and she had to pull out of the half marathon. She got halfway through and had awful, I think it was calf cramps or something, you know, or plantar, something happened, you know, where it was definitely the shoes. It was bilateral. It was like halfway through the half marathon. And she was like, yeah, not a good idea. So I think that's why it's really important, especially with the super shoes that we see online. And it's really easy to get them online and order them online is that going into a specialty running store and having somebody like you talk you through the process is really important. Can you also talk about, um, inserts such as super feet? Um, there's a specialty running store. It's not, I wouldn't call it a specialty running store, Roadrunner sports that tends to, um, force people or, or to highly suggest that everybody buy an insert to go with their shoe. So can you talk a little bit about when one should be buying an insert to go with their shoe and why? Um, okay. So inserts over the counter orthotics. Um, this is like probably also like maybe a little unpopular, um, because we don't force or we don't like, we won't sell you an orthotic with every pair of shoes. Actually, we kind of do the opposite. We're looking for, um, the shoe to do the work uh, 90% of the time. 
um, the shoes these days are so good. There's so much technology in them. Um, and then you have, you know, so many brands that you're, you're fitting people with that, you know, there's, you know, the range it's, it's almost like a color wheel. It's like, there's so many different shoes that you can ultimately find one, um, that should do, you know, the job that you want the shoe to do for the person's support them or not support them in, in that way. So, um, typically we're looking for the support in the shoe. Um, now there's plenty of times when like I refer someone to go to a podiatrist to get orthotics, or maybe we need super feet and plantar fasciitis is a great example of needing to put super feet into a shoe because it is firm and it supports, uh, you know, it puts pressure on the heel and it supports the plantar fascia. So, so having something firm inside your shoe for that, or maybe like somebody has a heel spur or maybe, um, somebody has like hallux limitus where we're, we're, we want to make sure that the joint doesn't move too much. Um, so there's reasons for, um, using super feet. Now, what I would say about something that's like moldable, um, cause that's kind of what I think Roadrunner subscribes to is that you, it's, it's heat based. So when you put something in a shoe that's heat based, it's tricky because the shoe, like the temperature in the shoe goes above your foot in the shoe goes above like 220 degrees. So your foot is always kind of changing the orthotic. So you want to be careful because at one point we had sold sole orthotics and the whole idea is you put them in the toaster oven and the toaster oven, um, like, well, the heat molds them, but then we discovered over time that it actually changes inside the shoe because your foot keeps the shoe up a lot. So, but some people find, so what I find is, is that some people find those comfortable. And the reason that they find those comfortable is because it's something that they can tolerate a little bit better than say a pair of super feet or orthotics. That's super interesting. And it's something I did not realize that there's an actual specific temperature that your foot reacts to and they're thereby molds. And so a heat based insert is much different than for example, a super feet product or yes. super foot, whatever. Um, very interesting. Okay. So to that end, can we talk for a minute about some common myths with respect to shoes? You just, you basically just dispelled one, which is that everyone does not need to buy a set of inserts to go with their shoes. Um, what about sizing? Must you have a wide foot to wear a wide size? Uh, definitely not. Um, so I'm glad you brought that up because I, I think that's one of the trickiest things for us is like sizing. So like you come in, you measure a six and a half and you end up somehow in an eight and a half. How does that happen? Um, well, one, like all of the brands vary. So like you might be a seven in a Brooks, you might be a seven and a half in a New Balance, you might be a six and a half in a, in a Hoka. It just, it, it depends on one, the fit of that shoe, the volume of that shoe, the width of the platform on the shoe. I mean, there's so many variables. So it's hard to say when someone comes in that you're gonna be this specific size in each shoe that you put on. Um, 
and I, I would also say like, I, I like, I, I want people to keep an open mind because what we see a lot is, is that the shoes are running a lot shorter than what they used to run. And so we take people up in size quite a bit and it's, because, and then they always have a reaction to it. Like, I can't be a, a women's nine and a half. I've always been a women's eight and a half. And it's like, well, I mean, the shoes are constantly changing. And, and I would say the one thing is, is like, you know, they're not manufactured in the U S so like, maybe they're not necessarily manufactured for like Americans the way they should be. Um, and so I just like, there's no, like, like I, I don't subscribe to telling anybody that they're a specific size in a shoe because you could be any size in any shoe. Got it. That's great advice. And with respect to, um, can you explain what it means to have a wide foot? Because I think that's a misconception too. What does that exactly mean? Because I, I know I didn't understand that initially for many years, what that meant in terms of a wide foot. So a, a wide foot doesn't necessarily mean you have a wide foot. It's just when we put a foot in a shoe, we're working with the width of the shoe and the depth of the shoe. So it's twofold. Um, and so like, like, for example, a New Balance 880 doesn't have the same amount of volume inside that a Brooks Ghost has. So if I'm putting you into a Brooks Ghost, that shoe is a lot deeper than a New Balance 880. But then the other thing is, is it's how, how tall is your foot? So it might not necessarily be the width of your foot as much as the depth of your foot. Because we're, you know, people have different arch heights, but it's not even just arch heights. It goes beyond that. It's, it's the, it's the top of the foot. So how much depth do you need inside that shoe? And, and that's a lot of it when we're talking about widths on shoes, it's, it's, we're putting your foot into a wide because we actually need the height of the shoe as opposed to the width of the shoe. Thank you for that. Because I think that is a very common misconception, understandably, because when we think wide, we think wide foot and one may look at their foot and say, but I don't have a wide foot. So I'm definitely not a wide. And it's not necessarily what your foot looks like. It's how your foot sits in the shoe in that particular model. Yes. Yes. Okay. So another, another myth, um, true or false, you need multiple pairs of shoes to rotate. Can you share your thoughts on that? Um, I think it, well, that's tough, right? So like if, if you, if you're a Hoka Clifton in a women's size, you know, whatever, seven, like what other shoe is going to be like that shoe? I mean, the chances of getting that exact same fit from another shoe is, is relatively difficult. Um, so it's sometimes we're able to land on two pairs of shoes, but a lot of the times, like if we're getting down to specific fits on shoes, we're landing on one pair of shoes. And so what I like to tell people is get two pairs of shoes of that shoe to have in rotation. So you always have a fresh pair to go to. So it's not necessarily a different shoe. I mean, it'd be wonderful if we could get you into two different pairs of shoes, but like, I mean, we're so particular about how the shoes fit that it's not necessarily always going to happen that we get two pairs of shoes, but, and this is of course, um, not referring to racing shoes, which is another pair or, um, trail shoes, for example, this is just everyday road running, rotating shoes. You're saying even just buying 
the same pair in multiples and rotating them would be good. And can you share how, how one should do that if they are able um, to be in a position to purchase more than one pair at the same time? Uh, well, there's a few ways you could do it. Um, you could save one pair for like, it depends on how many days a week you run. So if you're running like six days a week, maybe you have, and if you can, maybe you get two different colors in a shoe and then you rotate those every other day. Um, to kind of like save the life of the shoe because it takes about 24 hours for the shoe to come back from compression. And especially like on those long run days, again, you're, you know, you're running in those shoes for two plus hours and the, the midsole is just getting compressed. So it's highly unlikely that the next time you go to put the shoe back on, the shoe is going to feel amazing because you just ran two plus hours in it. So in order to kind of like save the life of those shoes, have it, have another pair, you know, the next day to go run in and, and you will dramatically increase the, I don't know about dramatically, but you'll increase the life of the shoe. Um, the other reason it's important to have a, a second pair of shoes in, in uh, like rotation is to always have a, a shoe that's not dead to go to. And this is kind of where like injuries kind of pop up. If you're running in the same pair of shoes like consistently and then your knee starts to hurt, well, it potentially is because you put too many miles on that shoe and you don't have something fresh to go to. So that's another, you know, another reason to have a, a pair in rotation is that you always have something fresh to go to. Um, Great so. advice. So um, lastly, just a, a general question, and this is, I think, more specifically for women, but maybe men too, and that is um, in terms of feet and changes in feet, what, if any, life transitions can affect changes in feet? Obviously, pregnancy is one, but what about menopause um, or anything else that you can think of where one should come back to R&J or their specialty running store if that life transition is or has taken place? Um, I always like, uh, pregnancy is definitely, definitely one. Multiple pregnancies for sure. Um, I mean, any injury, any, any injury should take you back into a running store, um, just to check to see whether it was the shoe or not. I mean, it could be completely unrelated to the shoe and it could just be overuse, but, um, it's always good to go back into your running store with those shoes that you got an injury in and say, this is what happened. And let's, cause at the very least, what they can do is they can take you outside. One, they can look at the wear pattern on the bottom of the shoes. And then two, they can take you outside and watch you run in them and see if there's like a hitch in your giddy up. Um, so those are always, always like, that's a really important thing to do is injury-based go back in and say, this is what happened. So. What about hormonal changes? Have you experienced? experienced with customers, anything that correlates to changes in feet with hormonal changes and which would necessitate, um, getting refitted. I, I, so at one point, Asics made their, um, their shoes to be more flexible for women specifically while they were like menstruating. I don't like, I don't really know what happened there. Um, because we, our bodies, we become, you know, our ligaments and tendons become more flexible. Um, but that didn't really stick 
Um, so they, they've kind of gotten rid of that. What would I say? Um, you know, if you haven't, when the shoe updates, you should always go back into your running store. Um, like if you, how often should you go back in? What, I'm trying to think like, what other conditions would take you back in? Um, as you age, like for sure, every time a new model comes out, for sure. Um, what I, do you know what I see? I don't know what this is, but like around the age of 60, I, for men and women, I like, it's like they have another like growth spurt in their feet. Like that, that would be like from like 55 to 60, maybe even to 65. I find that their feet grow. Okay. That's good. That's good to know. It's just that kind of data stuff, Kelly, that only you would know. And it's good to know because look, we wouldn't necessarily notice if our feet have grown, we might just think, oh, I need new shoes and this is the size I wear. So recognizing that every time we go in, the size could be different based on what you referenced earlier in terms of the shoe, but also in terms of changes in our bodies generally that can affect our size. So our last question for you that we wanted to ask was just, what is one takeaway that you wish every runner understood about running shoes? Hmm. Uh, there's, there's, um, one size does not fit all, like, meaning that, uh, keep an open mind when you go into your local running store and what they fit you into it, it, it might not be like the prettiest shoe. It might not be what you thought you were going to leave with, but keep an open mind because maybe they're seeing something that you don't know you have, like, you know, like an inefficiency that you don't know you have. And I think like, those are the things that we all struggle with in general is um, trying to get you into the right shoe, but it's not gonna be what you think it is gonna be, so. Thank you. That is super helpful as always. And thanks for joining us again today, Kelly. The last time you were on, as Lisa mentioned earlier, was episode 33. And that was super informative. But this information is even more important at this point because we've had so many shoes that have the carbon plate since then. And so much has changed in the industry and in just a few years. And thank you so much for joining us to clarify um, what we should look for and why we need to shop at a local running store, especially. And for those in the area, RJ Sports, of course, is located. Um, Kelly works out of the one in Rockville and um, they're always happy to help there. And can you also share how people can find you and, and how, if interested, people could uh, take advantage of your services outside of the local area? Uh, well, you can always, um, you can always like email me or you can email like rnjsports at gmail.com if you're outside the area and then um, the email will get forwarded over to me. You can always call me at work. I'm happy to take phone calls. Uh, our work phone number is 301-881-0021. Um, and then, you know, come in. But I always tell you to call before you come in in case I'm helping somebody else. But um, I'm happy to like, you know, help anybody anytime. And it, even if you just have a few questions, just, you know, give me a call. 
That is so nice, Kelly. And we know you've helped so many of our runners who don't live in the area and your advice is, is golden. And we know that so many listeners today will take something away from all of the information you provided. So thank you so much for joining us. We'll put all of your information in the show notes. And I look forward to coming into RNJ very soon for my fitting um, post-injury. And thank you for that reminder. I will be in soon. And Kelly, as always, it was such a pleasure. And thanks again for joining us today. Thanks for having me on. I I always love talking to you. I love you guys. (laughs) We love you too. Thanks, Kelly. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Run Farther and Faster Boston Marathon podcast. We want to give a special thanks to our editor, Aaron Bryan. And if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others and please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.